Folks, have you checked out the Irish History Podcast shop recently? Right now, I have a sale of 30% off everything when you use the code SALE30. So go to irishhistorypodcast.ie forward slash shop and get 30% off everything when you use the discount code SALE30. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to the Irish History Podcast. My name is Finn DeWire and this is Ireland's Nazi Commando Part 2. This is the last podcast for 2017, although there will be one more Patrons episode which will be available exclusively at patreon.com forward slash Irish podcast. This episode continues the remarkable story of Otto Skorzeny. In the last episode, we looked at who Skorzeny exactly was, the early controversies around his arrival in Ireland and the Irish government's refusal to ban him from the country despite rumours about his activities. I would recommend listening to that show first if you haven't heard it before listening to this. In this episode, I'm going to continue the story which only gets more fascinating and bizarre as Ireland's intelligence agency, G2 compiled explosive reports on what Scorzani was up to in the early 1960s, not to mention accusations of war crimes and his connections to the IRA. The show opens by looking at major allegations levelled against Scorzani. Then I will look at whether or not these were true, how the government responded and finally why so few in Ireland were willing to take a stand against Otto Scorzani. There could be little doubt that Otto Skorzeny was happy with his initial experiences of Ireland, where he had been welcomed and difficult questions regarding his Nazi past were in general limited. For such a controversial figure who was banned from both Britain and Canada, he could scarcely have asked for more. On his initial arrival, he had been feted by well-known figures in Dublin. During his subsequent visits in the following years, the Irish newspapers had been generous in their coverage. By and large, they had focused on what might be considered the more positive aspects of his war record, primarily his rescue of the Italian fascist dictator Benito Mussolini in 1943, while they tended not to bring up his more problematic past, for example, that he had been loyal to Adolf Hitler to the bitter end. From the early 1960s onwards, this approach to Scorzani, however, was tested to its limits because figures such as Scorzani and other former Nazis came under intense scrutiny due to two major trials. 
As we saw in the last episode, the architect of the Holocaust, Adolf Eichmann, was captured and brought to Israel for trial in 1960. Testimonies in his trial, which began in 1961, brought the crimes of the Nazis sharply into focus again. This was followed by another series of trials in 1964 when the West German government tried over 20 people charged with terrible crimes in the Auschwitz death camp. Throughout the period, claims repeatedly linked Skorzeny to figures involved in these horrific acts and on one occasion he was accused of involvement himself. From an Irish perspective though, the country's intelligence agency, known as G2, began to pry into the man and they also came up with pretty startling accusations which should have been a concern for Irish politicians. Now as early as 1961, G2 had produced two specific separate reports on Scorzani and sent them to Ireland's police force who would in turn forward most of the details to the government. While intelligence files can actually be surprisingly dull, these files on Otto Scorzani exceed our wildest flights of fancy. Fascinating, intriguing and in parts pretty unbelievable, they informed the Irish government what infiltrators and agents suspected Scorzani was up to in the 1960s and he was by no means the innocent former soldier he would have had many people believe. The first of these intelligence reports was written on February 25th, 1961 and was sent to the Irish police. It read as follows. Information, unconfirmed at this stage from a delicate but very reliable source, indicates that international arms dealers have been in touch with Otto Skorzeny with a view to setting up an arms dump in this country for later transshipment to Africa for sale to dissident elements in that continent. Cork Harbour is mentioned as the port of entry and dispatch of the arms. At present, however, the scheme is only at the planning stage and no arms have been landed here. Otto Skorzeny, a former major in Hitler's SS Corps, who resides at Martinstown House, County Kildare, is internationally known for his part in the successful rescue of Mussolini from imprisonment in September 1943. I must stress this source is delicate and needs maximum protection and until such a time as information can be confirmed no action should be taken to compromise the source or to place Scorzani under any embarrassment or disadvantage. It is possible that we shall hear more on this in which case I will let you know immediately. While this was pretty alarming the Irish police bizarrely did not seem particularly perturbed. It would take them two months before they replied to G2, stating they had finally notified the police in Cork. While the government were made aware of the files, nothing was ever done about it. The allegation may not have been proof, but one would think such suspicions would make Irish politicians increasingly dubious and nervous about Scorzani. However, it seems to have little impact. Now, if this wasn't enough, a few months later... In July 1961, another report emerged, which was far more explosive. This report began, Whilst we have no further information connecting Scorzani with trafficking in arms, you may be interested in the following information. The source on this occasion is a casual one whose reliability we cannot judge. Scorzani is reported to have had in the past few months meetings with Ulrich Rudel, Oswald Mosley, Leon de Grel, one of Eichmann's sons and others unnamed in Germany and Spain. Now the link between Skorzeny and these individuals is very significant. The German Ulrich Rudel and the Belgian Leon de Grel 
both veterans of the Second World War, along with the English fascist Oswald Mosley, were probably the most prominent neo-Nazis of the post-war period. The link alone certainly gave the Irish government further food for thought about who Scorzani was and what exactly he was up to. But it was the purpose of the meeting between Scorzani and these neo-Nazis that was truly explosive, if it was accurate. According to G2's source, they were planning what would have been one of the most audacious missions of all time. According to the report, Otto Scorzani, Ulrich Rudel, Leon de Grel and others were plotting to break Adolf Eichmann, the architect of the Holocaust, out of prison in Israel, or, failing that, execute him. One way or another, their goal seems to have been to try and stop Eichmann testifying at his trial in Israel. It appears that G2 did not really know what to make of such allegations. Their report continued, Some of this information sounds improbable, but nevertheless I thought I should pass it on to you just in case there might be some substance in it. These allegations contained in the G2 reports of using Cork Harbour for gun running and potentially killing or rescuing Adolf Eichmann deserve further examination, but first I want to look at other claims around Scorzani in the 1960s before assessing the truth of them. While Ireland's intelligence agency would not be able to add to their explosive claims, the scandal and accusations around Otto Scorzani was almost ceaseless in the early 1960s. In 1962, the French newspaper Le Monde made accusations that he was using Ireland for neo-Nazi activities. This was followed in 1963 by the most serious of all allegations levelled against Scorzani. Early that year, the Austrian government announced publicly they wanted to extradite him to Austria to face extremely serious charges. They were claiming Scorzani had tested a prototype of a gas gun on inmates of a concentration camp, a charge that for the first time directly linked Scorzani to the notorious Nazi concentration camps. If this wasn't enough controversy for Scorzani in 1963, he also attended a memorial for the Italian fascist dictator Benito Mussolini in Spain, organised by the Spanish Falange, a fascist organisation. In 1965, the Irish consulate in San Francisco sent clippings from American newspapers which claimed his farm in Kildare was being used by former Nazis on the run. However, the most important of these newspaper reports from an Irish perspective appeared in the British newspaper The Telegraph in 1971. Prior to this, there had never been any suggestion that Otto Scorzani had interfered in domestic politics in Ireland. But in the late 1960s, politics in Ireland changed dramatically and Scorzani may have taken an interest for the first time. In 1968, what we know as the Troubles erupted when demands of the nationalist community in Northern Ireland for equal rights were met with force and violence. As the tensions deepened, this led to a full-scale conflict between Republican organisations on the one hand and the British authorities on the other. As this war escalated in the early 1970s, the main Republican military grouping, the Provisional IRA, were desperate to procure weapons. A leading Republican Dahi O'Connell, for example, is believed to have bought weapons in the communist Czechoslovakia in 1971. However, according to an extensive investigation published in the Telegraph that same year, another provisional leader, named as Rory O'Brady, better known in Ireland as Rory O'Brodig, and his wife Patricia travelled to Loret del Mar in Spain, where they reportedly met Scorzani with a view to buying weapons. 
If true, this would have had very serious implications for Scorzani, given he was now getting involved in explicitly illegal activity in Ireland. However, he would never return to the country after this, some citing the publishing of this story as the reason. Whatever the truth of that, Otto Scorzani's last visit to Ireland was probably in 1969. In 1971, he severed his connection completely when he sold his house here. Now, so far in this podcast, I've detailed four serious allegations made against Otto Scorzani, namely that he tried to use Cork Harbour to ship guns to North Africa, that he tried to help Adolf Eichmann escape or failing that kill him, that he was guilty of war crimes and finally that he met a senior IRA figure in Spain with a view to importing weapons into Ireland. After the break, I want to look at the validity of these claims, how Irish politicians reacted to them, and then, to finish, I want to look at some reasons why Scorzani, despite all these allegations, received the relatively positive treatment he did in Ireland. But first, that break. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Recently, I had a minor argument with a close friend that brought up things from my past that I really needed to get off my chest. I think we've all been there. Now, I found therapy a really great way to work through these issues. For me, I really like online therapy. And BetterHelp is a really great online service that allows you to make space for therapy no matter how busy you are. BetterHelp is convenient, affordable, and gives you the support you need, but also works around your schedule. It's really easy to get up and running with a therapist on BetterHelp. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. You can do your sessions by text, phone or video call, whichever suits you best. It's all about flexibility, working around your schedule. At the moment, BetterHelp are offering listeners to the show 10% off their first month. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash irishhistory today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Irish History. Many of the claims made against Otto Skorzeny by Irish intelligence, the Austrian government and the Telegraph newspaper sound like something from a novel, so I want to take them one at a time and see how they stand up. 
The first claim was that he was going to use Cork Harbour to ship guns to North Africa. Irish intelligence never heard any more about this, but judging on their source cited in the report referenced earlier in the show, it does seem G2 were pretty sure there was truth to this rumour. They also had access to other circumstantial evidence, is probably the best way to describe it, in their file on Scorzani. After the arrival of the prominent Algerian rebel, Dr. Tejini Haddam in Ireland in 1961, Ireland's intelligence agency, G2, noted, His visit may have been in some way connected with the allegation about Scorzani's implication in arms smuggling to North Africa. There is, however, no information to link Tejini and Scorzani directly. Obviously, it's impossible to know what exactly Scorzani was involved in and whether Ireland was used, but there's no doubt he was an international arms dealer. For example, the Irish government later learned he was known to the South African government for this very reason, because he had shipped them weapons, and in 1971 he would admit the fact himself that he had been involved in arms dealing. Next, we move on to the more suspect claims that he was involved in a bizarre plot to free or kill the architect of the Holocaust, Adolf Eichmann, then in prison in Israel. This is truly extraordinary. There's no doubt the likes of Scorzani had good reason to stop Adolf Eichmann testifying at his trial in Israel. Scorzani himself had been accused of aiding Eichmann escape Europe back in 1949. But in 1961, in a lengthy letter to the Irish Times, he had denied ever meeting Eichmann, a claim he knew to be false. Scorzani was probably very worried about what Adolf Eichmann would say when he testified. Indeed, when Eichmann did eventually take the stand, he admitted he had met Scorzani on a few occasions. Given Scorzani's activities in special operations during World War II, it is conceivable he entertained the idea of rescuing or killing Eichmann. However, I have to say, it does sound improbable. Eichmann was being held in a top security prison in Israel, which had even had anti-aircraft batteries installed in the case of such a rescue attempt. In the end, this plan came to nothing. Tried and found guilty, Adolf Eichmann was executed in 1962. The most serious of all claims against Otto Scorzani was that he tested a gas gun on concentration camp victims. Scorzani himself adamantly denied this allegation, claiming it had been invented by the Soviet Union. Some years later, an official in the Irish embassy in Madrid asked the press attaché in the German embassy, a certain Mr. Kilster, what he thought of the claims. Kilster, while he did not know for certain, implied to the Irish official that he thought, and I quote an embassy report here, Scorzani is quite capable of anything. Finally, this brings me to the last major claim, that Otto Scorzani met the provisional IRA leader Rory O'Brodig in Loré del Mar in Spain in 1971. Like the other allegations, we're never going to know for certain the truth behind this, but it is entirely possible. In 1971, the provisional IRA were desperate to procure weapons. Sadly, intelligence files held in the military archives offer little by way of what G2 thought about this. The original origin of this story, the British newspaper The Telegraph, was not an impartial source by any means. It is sometimes referred to as the Torygraph, a reference to its close connections to the British Conservative Party, then in power in the United Kingdom. While this does need to be borne in mind, there are several factors, though, which lend credence to the story. First of all, the Telegraph's investigation was very extensive, with three journalists 
Peter Burkett in Dublin, David Norris in London and Harold Siv in Madrid all working on the story. Furthermore, Rory O'Brodig and his wife did not deny they had been in Spain in the summer of 1971, a trip which could be considered somewhat unusual behaviour. I somehow doubt that Rory O'Brodig, a man who by this stage was the president of Sinn Féin and a member of the IRA Army Council, decided he would take a break and head for a sun holiday in the Costa Brava during what was a pivotal moment in the war in the North. It's simply not plausible. His wife Patricia was not exactly convincing either when questioned on the matter and said, We are not saying anything about meeting anyone. With each of these allegations being extremely serious in terms of how we might imagine the Irish government would view Scorzani's presence in the country, I want to conclude by looking at how the Irish government dealt with these allegations. Any one of the allegations that swirled around Otto Scorzani in the 1960s could and arguably should have been enough to get him banned from the country, given this was in the government's gift at any point. While the minister who had dealt with the case since his arrival, Oscar Traynor, retired in 1961, he was replaced by one of Ireland's most ambitious politicians of the era, his constituency colleague, Charles J. Hoy. Hoy, who would later go on to become Ireland's Prime Minister on three separate occasions between the late 1970s and the early 1990s, is today synonymous with the corruption that defined his party, Fianna Fáil, in the last quarter of the 20th century. In terms of our story, it's also worth bearing in mind that Charles Hawhey was present in the Port Marnica Country Club back in 1957 when Otto Scorzani first arrived in Ireland and was welcomed by Dublin's elite. That is covered in the first podcast on Scorzani. But in fairness to Hawhey, he could not have known he would end up Minister for Justice handling Scorzani's case. While Oscar Trainer's handling of the Scorzani issue had been far from desirable, as we saw in the last podcast, Hawhey's main test on the issue came in 1963, when allegations of Scorzani's involvement in testing weapons on concentration camp inmates broke. In light of the revelations, Dr Noel Brown, a member of the Irish Parliament, wishing to expose the fact that Scorzani could visit Ireland as he pleased for up to three months each year, pressed Hawhey saying... Is it a fact that this man has property in this country and has the right to come into the country at present? Hawhey replied and created confusion when he seemed to imply Scorzani was actually banned from Ireland now. Hawhey said he has no right to come to reside in this country. Many interpreted this as evidence that Ireland had finally decided to ban Scorzani, which given the charges levelled against him would not have been surprising. Indeed, Hawhey's comments made international headlines this was a hot topic in general given Adolf Eichmann was awaiting execution in Israel and Germany was preparing for its first major war crimes trials since the 1940s. That Ireland finally seemed to be taking action against Scorzani naturally then attracted attention. However, Hawhey had not banned Scorzani. He was only muddying the waters with what I think was probably an intentional wordplay. When the Irish Embassy in Bonn, West Germany, contacted the Department of Justice in Dublin asking for a clarification, they confirmed how he accidentally, or perhaps intentionally, had created a false impression Scorzani was banned. When he said, 
he has no right to come to reside in this country, Hawhey was referring to the fact that Scorzani did not have the natural rights of an Irish citizen, but this didn't stop him entering the country as a visitor. He hadn't been banned. If, and I suspect he was, Charles Hawhey was being intentionally vague, he had good reason to be in 1963. Otto Scorzani had always drawn adverse press attention, but was nothing short of a national embarrassment by this stage, so a few headlines that implied Ireland had banned the man would not have done any harm. Ultimately, none of the allegations had any impact on the Irish government, though. Scorzani would continue to travel to Ireland unfettered, albeit less frequently, as the 1960s progressed. His last visit appears to have been in 1969, and he sold his house here in 1971, dying four years later in 1975. If any questions remained over the political allegiances of the man Ireland had welcomed over the previous 18 years, these were answered at his funeral. I have posted a video of this funeral in the Patron's Guide available at patreon.com forward slash Irish podcast, where you can see a coffin draped in red, white and black, the colours of Nazi Germany, while many mourners have their right arm outstretched in a Nazi salute. Finally then, I want to look at why Ireland adopted such a lenient position towards this controversial and generally detestable figure. It's undeniably true that nothing had ever been proven against Otto Scorzani. However, he wasn't a normal figure. This sorry saga began only 12 years after the end of the Second World War, when the crimes of Nazi Germany had been revealed to the world. And we are talking about a prominent figure in that regime, and one continuously surrounded by claims of illegality at that. When I question the Irish government actions, I'm not saying they should or even could have tried him for anything. That wasn't their role. However, there was no reason to let the man enter the country either. He could have been easily refused, as a Department of Foreign Affairs memo in 1960 pointed out. The Minister for Justice can at any point order an alien to leave the state. As we know, Irish politicians never asked Scorzani to leave. From the start, the Irish government knew his presence here was liable to cause problems, yet they went ahead. In 1957, one government official noted, Of course, if the Scorzanis come here, there may be some adverse comment in the English press, but I think we should be prepared to endure that with fortitude. After this, there were several points in the coming years when they could and should have reversed this position. But the government didn't, and why they acted in this manner is a perplexing question. The simplest and most straightforward answer would be that somehow they had an ideological affinity with Scorzani and wanted to protect him. As I've said, Otto Scorzani was a neo-Nazi. His funeral footage, if anything, illustrates that he consorted with Nazis all his life. For all their faults though, the Irish government were not Nazis, nor were they Nazi sympathisers, so that does not explain their actions. That said, it must be noted, in general, Ireland had a more lax attitude to the far right when it came to immigration. In 1962, they allowed the American George Lincoln Rockwell, the founder of the American Nazi Party, enter Ireland. Their differing approach to other countries was exposed when Rockwell was subsequently banned from entering Britain. While outright sympathy with fascism was not a factor and does not explain why they acted like this, other unsavoury attitudes may have exerted influence and may in part help us understand why Ireland allowed these figures such as Rockwell and Scorzani in. This was anti-Semitism. 
The department responsible for directly dealing with Scorzani was the Department of Justice. Throughout the entire period, the leading official in that department was Peter Berry, an individual who is deeply anti-Semitic. His quote from the last episode on this topic, where he referred to Jews as politically undesirable and a social problem, spoke volumes to this. This might explain why the Department of Justice, under his tutelage, did not view some of Scorzani's associations with the same gravity as others did. While this may have created an atmosphere where Scorzani was not viewed with the same hostility as he was elsewhere, it seems to me there might have been other factors at play. It is possible that the Irish government, for example, had started down a road in allowing Scorzani to enter Ireland and then did not want to back down when it came in for criticism, especially in the British press. That said, there's little evidence in government files that any officials, even those dubious of Scorzani, felt he should be banned from the country. And when we look at wider society, there's little evidence that the general public either were perturbed by his presence here. Ultimately, it's very difficult to understand. To conclude, I want to give my opinion on one theory that is complete conjecture. I will preface this by saying I didn't find any specific evidence to back this up, but given the nature of the theory, it is unlikely that such evidence would exist. It is conceivable that there was some level of corruption involved in the Scorzani case. Of the two ministers who dealt with the case, there was never any insinuation that Oscar Trainer was corrupt. He is in fact one of the most respected politicians of the early 20th century. But from 1958 onwards, Charles Haughey was becoming an increasingly influential figure in the Department of Justice. Haughey would later be exposed as a deeply corrupt figure. It is conceivable then that at some point, Scorzani paid Irish political figures to allow him to continue entering the country. This is, however, as I've said, complete conjecture on my part. Before I finish, I do want to draw attention to one aspect of the story that I find completely perplexing. And this is something I mentioned in the last podcast. You may remember that a woman called Gladys Mooney acted as Scorzani's reference on his visas in 1957 and 1958, and then went to quite extraordinary lengths for the Nazi. She used what were quite extensive contacts to help Scorzani meet leading figures in Dublin society at an event in 1957. What Gladys Mooney's connection to and motives were for helping this man is anyone's guess. If you have any theories or knowledge on this, I'd love to hear it. You can let me know at history at irishhistorypodcast.ie. That's history at irishhistorypodcast.ie. That's where I'm leaving it for 2017, folks. Thanks to everyone who's downloaded the show, who's been in touch throughout the year, and most importantly, to all the patrons who have supported this show. I hope you all have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. I'll be back in mid-January with the series on the Great Famine. If in the meantime you want to get more shows, there's tons of extra content available on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Irish podcast. That's patreon.com forward slash Irish podcast. I will have a Christmas special up there in the coming days. Until next year, Sloan. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 